Quarantine Cocktail Hour presents When the Levy Broke. When I was in about the fourth grade, my uncle bought my dad Led Zeppelin IV on CD for Christmas. I'd grown up with my dad's vinyl, a lot of Beatles, Beach Boys, Doors, Stones, a lot of your standard 60s classic rock fare. But he's never a Led Zeppelin man. No, I think Zeppelin was a little later and a little harder. But he was after he got that disc. And I remember when we put it in, the home audio system, which was a good audio system, the way to listen to music. Had some of your standards that we'd heard before, Black Dogs, Rock and Rollers, Stairway to Heavens. Obviously a fantastic all-around album by any measure. But when that last song comes on, when that opening drum drops, and the harmonica creeps in, man, it broke the levees down. I never heard anything so hard, so loud. And that completely expanded music at that point in my life. And that's why I decided to name this little offshoot of Quarantine Cocktail Hour, When the Levee Broke. It's about the song the album, the whatever, that changed your life. And though Levy is not the song that changed my life definitively, it was the song that initially opened the floodgates. The song that changed it all for me was a punk rock song, the one that changed my brain forever. But I would have never gotten to punk rock if it wasn't for that. Because after that, I needed to go louder, harder. I had to know what else was out there that I didn't know about. On this show, I'm gonna to talk to friends and loved ones about the time their levy broke. Our first guest was one of the first people who reached out to me about this. Benji, Ben Wickham, artist, writer, conservationist, raconteur extraordinaire, and a man that I could spend my whole life bellied up to a bar with if I needed to. Most of Benji's work can be found at dirtroadsandrivereddies.com, but you can also just find him at a bar in Bozeman, Montana, having a beer if you want to. Benji reached out to me about Green Day, Dookie. And he had sent me a video for Longview. Asked that I play it. I had told him I only played what I had in vinyl for Quarantine Cocktail Hour and he sent me the vinyl. And so I played it and I was so intrigued by a story and also just got me thinking a lot about Green Day that I said, man, 
Let's get on Zoom and talk about this. So here it is. This is our first take at this. I did not edit the conversation much, as I would plan not to if I were to do this in the future. And at the end, we'll listen to a song. Not actually Longview, as you'll come to find out that was a miscommunication by two people who like to have a couple too many from time to time. You may find we do go off the rails just a little bit, as I think one does when having a good conversation that eventually leads to music. I encourage you to stick around. There's some real good stuff in there. And, of course, a really great song at the end. You remember that song? What was your song? What was that time like for you? I'd love to hear about it. But for now, we're gonna hear from Benji. So, settle in if you will. For when the levee broke, Benji and Green Day. Benji. What's up? Is it going? How you doing, man? I'm good. Awesome, dude. Yeah. So you're in a van. I'm in a van. I'm in the uh, I'm in the Eurovan, 2002 VW Eurovan. Sold I sold the Tacoma. Went for a van. I have a family now, Benji. A van man. <laughs> you had to get a van. Dude, it's great. It's right great. On. It turns into a bed. There's a table. Yeah. There's a pop-up table on which this computer is sitting. It has great acoustics. Everything cool. you need. It's everything you need. Right on. Yeah. Is that a screwdriver? No, that is a... Uh, I ran out of limes for margaritas. So it's like tequila, orange juice, lemon, half a lime, and some simple syrup. Cool. What are you drinking? I got IPA and tequila on the rocks. Oh, IPA and tequila on the rocks. I've, I've been finding myself like I want to move to tequila more. Like, I feel like for some reason, I know like we all have bad associations with it. But I think that's because we're drinking shitty tequila. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because like, I mean, isn't the difference like tequila is... It's basically a diluted poison where yeah. the other things are like fermented fruits and vegetables. Well, I think the other thing is college kids either drink tequila in like super sugary margarita mix yeah, or they're just taking shots. So it either tastes shitty or gets them real hungover. Yeah. yeah. But if you put it on the rocks with a little lime juice, like the ice and the coldness kind of tones down the harshness of the flavor. And, yeah. Um, don't put too much sugar in it. You won't, you'll be hungover, but not as hungover. <laughs> what kind of frozen? Te- what kind of tequila do you buy? Uh, I don't know. Frankly, this was just a little shot of like salsa 
that Bub's sister sent her for a birthday and it sat on the kitchen counter for the last four days. So tonight I was like, are you going to drink this? Yeah. She said no. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to drink it. Yeah. So. So Benji, you're like, you're a, you're a bar guy. You like to belly up. We bellied up to a a bar or two in our days. Had a nice long chat, nice long drinking session. You guys going back to bars there in Montana yet? Or are you still kind of... I went to my kind of first two in the last week. Yeah. One was in Dillon, which hasn't had any cases, I don't think. Yeah. Montana's doing good. We, we've had a little jump in the last few days. Yeah. As, it, um, as was expected, I believe. Yeah. Um, I went to my first bar in Bozeman, like, last night. Yeah. I had an hour to kill between work and a board meeting. And so I sat and had a beer. No better way to make a board meeting a little less boring than getting a little buzz on. Yep, exactly. Right. Yep. Hey man, what give me go ahead and tell me like during quarantine I was I was missing bars, even though I don't go out to bars much because I have a baby. But yeah. I do enjoy going down to the uh, down to the local brewery down the road there. Getting a nice, getting a nice beer. We have a pretty good brewery here. What are like? G- give me a, give me a, a top three Benji bars. Things that you're just like classic memory bars. Are we recording right now? Yeah, yeah, oh. we are. I don't know. I'll try to edit out some of this, but you know. Uh, do I need to have headphones so I can be heard better? No, I think you're fine. Okay. So, like, uh, I'm confused on your question then. Like my fav- three favorite bars of all time? It doesn't have to be your favorite of all time. Just like three bars that you're like, man, I had some good memories, or I really enjoyed that bar, or I missed that bar. You know, like okay. those kind of things. Just like okay. give me some nostalgic bar. Give me three bingy, nostalgic, heavy bars. Okay. Well, um, that's a good question. The casino in Ketchum, Idaho. Oh, dude, casino. That's a wild joint. Yep. A good friend of mine ran for mayor of Ketchum about a decade ago. And his major platform was putting in a crosswalk from Whiskey Jacks to the casino. Um, uh, I think he got fourth place. Oh, that's not bad. He, he claims six. that everybody was supposed to vote for him was out partying the night before and didn't make it to vote. Um uh yeah you know i'm not gonna lie old foresters old foresters uh, like this foresters like, of 20 years ago like smoky kind of scary yes like you had to watch your ass in there right like yeah you, you could belly up in there if you kept to yourself but uh you could also catch a tire iron in the back of the head if you if you were in there totally. the night. yeah you just had to be cool yeah you know, like, sure. don't be an arrogant frat boy or don't be a pompous boise, you know, like, I mean, just go in there. And, and I was not cool one night. Yeah. Um, it was my birthday and I was blackout drunk. And it was like a Monday or Tuesday when the Lakers were in the NBA finals. And Kobe was doing like the like lower the roof thing when everybody else was raising the roof. You know, Kobe was like, doing yeah, that. man, Black Mamba. He's like, you know, he's got a little bit of that bad attitude he can he can push back well apparently i, I was doing that 
while I was running the pool table on um, Big Ed and a couple of the old crusty locals. Yeah. But they let me get away with it because I was kicking their ass at pool. Yeah. So yeah. I got lucky. God bless. I uh, remember closing up the old ice cream shop back in the day, back when old Foresters was rough and rowdy because it spilt out into the alley. And it could get. There was it was nasty back there, like chairs, stabbings, like chairs broken on people's backs, stabbings. Like friend of mine was there the night some dudes had to get life flighted to Boise. Yeah, I think the thing that ultimately shut it down. Yeah, so cool choice for number two. What's number three? Give me a okay. Here's what I'm gonna narrow you down a little bit more. Yeah. To we do have that shared experience, Forester's Club, McCall, Idaho. Mm -hmm. Um, Give me a a Moscow bar. Moscow bar. Give me a Moscow bar. Um, you know what I'm gonna say. Uh, I mean, I was gonna say John. John I'll say John's Alley because, like, it's what funny. I was gonna say for my third bar is just any kind of bar that's old and classy and has great music. And maybe John's Alley doesn't fit the classy side of it per se. <laughs> um, but I was just thinking how I've been in a bar in San Francisco and North Beach, um, this old historic bar where just a bunch of old men were playing jazz. And it was just like the feel of a place where there's real character, real music, right. um, like Pengillies yep. and Boise, well, or even or the Neuralex in Boise. Perfect. Um, where sort of the character of the place comes together with the um, music and right. the crowd. And, um, yeah, one of the best nights I ever had was when Finn Riggins got together and played a live show at John's Alley, and we went bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. John's Alley's the place, and it's one of like, the few places where, uh, you know, you can really take your shoes off and let your hair down. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember John's Alley, before they remodeled it and expanded it, it was narrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You keep talking about all these bars that were, like, I only heard lore of because you're you're fucking old. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you ever know Wayne when you were working in the restaurant scene in Boise? I don't know. Wayne? Wayne Wayne's this older guy. He's a vandal. He graduated in like early seventies. And when I was working downtown Boise, he'd come into our restaurant and get two PBRs every afternoon. Yeah. And great stories. Yeah. And I forget which bar, you know, back in the day in Moscow, he was telling me every bar had their beer. Right. You know, one bar carried Miller High Life, one bar carried Bud, one bar carried Coors or Milwaukee or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so he had his bar because I think he was a Miller High Life guy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, people pick their bar based on, like, the domestic beer that bar carried. Right. I've, like, Some of those logging bars east of Moscow are rad. Out there in the Beauville. old, the old Beauville run. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, up there, Potlatchway. Uh huh. Up there in Santa. And, uh, Santa Troy. Bay. Troy's got a couple good ones. Oh yeah, it does. Um, Montana's got great small town bars. Livingston, Montana, is one of the best bar towns I've ever been to. You made a a point there, I think, that like I really latch onto in a bar is like you know when you like sit down and like you can just feel like the stories are like soaked into like the walls and the seats and the bar top and the music just like everything in there it's like there's like a weird it vibrates with like some kind of life 
America. Yeah. Like, I was here in a former life when I was a logger. Right, yeah, yeah. Or even like at the Neuralux and you're just like, did, did Nirvana play here before they were Nirvana? <laughs> like, right? Did they like, before they, before Bleach, were they just like doing some weird Northwest tour in a van with the Melvins and played some shitty basement show and then went to the Neuralux and opened for someone, you know? Like, yeah. Two of my friends snuck into the Neuralux to see Sublime when we were in high school. I know another friend who saw Green Day play the Neuralux. Oh, God damn it, Benji. That's a great transition. <laughs> so what we're really here to talk about today is um, it's kind of a, a new segment I'm trying out. So this might be a little flimsy. We'll see how many, um, how many edits I have to make to this. Depends you know, how many of these drinks we have to go through. But the idea was, we were talking about is, on one of the early quarantine cocktail hours, I talked about that Velvet Underground song, Rock and Roll, and the line in which Lou says, and her life is changed by rock and roll. So this isn't like a new concept, right? Like, I mean, people have talked about this, right? Like the song, the album, the thing that changed your life, but like, you and a couple other people sent me some messages and I was just like, you know what, this is too, like, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in these stories of, of people that I know and, and how their lives were influenced by these songs and these, just the, like, because it's all about a moment in time, right? And, and, it's, and that's what it's all about to me is like hearing about like, what was that moment in time for you? And like, what was, what was going on? And then like, how did those songs make a shift? So. So where, where was that? What was that about? Where were you? Uh, my first job um, I got in 1993 at Chicago Connection on State Street in Boise. Boise, pizza shop. It is, yeah, no longer there. Is that one gone? Yeah, it's been gone for probably 15 years, I think. There is a Chicago Connection down on State Street though, right? Like down there a little bit where? There might be one at Eagle now. Um, but when they moved that one downtown, they got rid of the one. I mean, this was just, it's its currently, the building's still there. It's right. that uh, Ethiopian restaurant. Okay. Um, 36th Street used to shoot through um, where Albertsons is now. Okay, coffee is And that gas place. station was Jolly's before it became a stinker. And... I lived down 36, well, most of my life, I lived off 36th Street by Hill Road. Okay, so, so you were on, like, like, the far, you were at the furthest corner of what would be considered, like, North End, basically. You basically um, lived in, like, the woods. I mean, I never felt like a North End kid. Sure. I, yeah. I, I sort of, like, I went to St. Mary's, which very much is the North End, but I've always thought of... Personally, 28th Street being like the end of the North End, and then you get into the kind of like that Sunset neighborhood. Or, right. Um, and I think growing up where I grew up, and then we moved a little further out to Collister. Okay. Uh, but I always felt like, you know, for people who don't know Boise, like the North End is like the old historic neighborhood. Um, it was more middle class when I was a kid. Now it's pretty like gentrified and yuppie. Sure. Um, but it was still the place with character and old trees and old houses and felt like a real town neighborhood. Right. And when you got past like 28th Street, it turned to be a little divier, 
Um, streets didn't go through. A street with dead end. Um, yeah, I think I always sort of had a little bit of an inferiority complex. <laughs> Grow up in the cool neighborhood. Yeah, dude, you're on the other side of the tracks there a little bit. I mean, I gotta be fair. Like, my parents were middle class, and like, there was nothing wrong with our family life. Sure. We had a comfortable living. We were straight for the foothills. Yeah. My friends and I would play in the foothills, which sure. is all now, you know, mansions. But sure. like, um, I gotta be fair to people who truly did grow up on the other side of the tracks. Right. But in my world, growing up, I'm like. I'm not a cool kid because of where I grew up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That you're a kid, man. You can't like, you're just navigating all of that. So yeah, even like I lived in the North end, even in 2008, I lived in a house right behind Harry's, which is now Hyde Park pub. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it was a total dump. I paid 300 bucks a month. There were like, there were still like punk rockers and hippies and like, there were kids who would like skateboard down at the defunct church that was like a meth house by night. And now it's like a nice like children's art nonprofit. Trika. Yeah, Trika, exactly. Yep. Um, you know, I, I interviewed mean, Doug Marsh's wife years ago that. when they were upset about that going in. Trika? <laughs> yeah, I did a story for Boise Weekly because yeah, Doug yeah. Marsh's wife was upset about Trika. So. I mean, you know, like, it is what it is, right? Some people like loses a little bit of that character, gets gentrified, but then of totally. course you don't have a meth house in the neighborhood, exactly. right? Uh -huh. so. Yeah, for the community is a great thing. I can understand as a neighbor how you're concerned that there's going to be some extra cars parking. Yeah. So, what were you for that first job? What were you like? How old were you? Were you driving to Chicago Connection? Or? Yeah, I think um, when I first got the job, I didn't have a car yet. Um, I think I was 16, but my parents were not willing to get me a car right away. Um, so I think I was just taking a family car, even getting dropped off by my parents or picked up by my parents that night. So I was like working Talk Friday, Saturday, cool. Sunday nights. Yeah. Slinging pizzas. Yeah. The best. You know? Every kid should do that at some point. Yeah. Maybe. It was like, I mean, obviously the cool kids in high school were, you know, drinking and hanging out with girls on the weekend on Friday and Saturday nights. And I, I wasn't going to be doing that anyway. So why not be in a restaurant <laughs> where I'm around people? I was a shy, quiet kid. Yeah. And you throw me in that kitchen with a bunch of people who all the kids in the kitchen were, were mostly high schooler. All the managers and the delivery drivers and the servers were in college or older. And they seemed yeah. like adult, like, yeah. Like, they, knew they knew everything they had shit figured out yeah and they were cool yep like uh they drink beer yep and they controlled the radio oh yeah we did not have that i recall a tape player or a cd player in there we had a radio yeah and so we listened to the radio and like i remember one manager would get so stoked particularly when the gin blossoms came on and he would just drop what he was doing and run to the radio and like crank the volume. Man, of, of all the forgettable bands. Yeah. Blossoms. I think he really liked that Jealousy song, but he liked mm -hmm. singing it as Chelsea. No, wait. Yeah. He, he, he liked to mix up the words and make up his own words and sing yeah. them really loud. Yeah. 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 That guy. Uh -huh. 
That's good, man. That's good stuff. And I was in a weird phase where, like, you know, um, when I was in junior high, you know, MTV was a big deal back then. Yeah. You know, we found everything, right? Like, exactly. Yeah. Um, and when you're from Idaho, like, that, like, literally, that's like, it blows your damn mind because yeah. it's not just everywhere. Like, that is, that's like your, that is, this is before the internet, obviously. Like, MTV is like a window to this crazy magical world that's going on in the places. Yeah. And I'd be interested to hear how maybe someone older than me thought of MTV at the time. But, like, for what I thought, I thought it was playing stuff that was, like, would blow your mind. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, like, later in the 90s when MTV got kind of corporate and was just pushing the boy band and Britney Spears team right. on the world just because they could make money off it. And, sure. and they were probably doing that back when I was young, too. But, like, I kind of remember the day when, like, the boy band or not the boy bands the uh the butt rock bands ruled mtv right and i was like like the hair metal like motley Crue type that that gang def leopard yeah yeah all that yeah and i was into it i remember being fifth grade and we had that cool fifth grade teachers in the music we were into and i remember asking her like should I go get the new Guns N' Roses CD? And she's like, I don't know. It's pretty hardcore, you know? <laughs> and then there was, like, a little phase where then, like, those were out. And it was all the, like, I got into the rap. Yeah. Like, yep. Public Enemy and uh, Young MC and Naughty by Nature, Dr. Dre. Sure. That Chronic album came out in 92. Right? I think. Yeah. I think that was I don't remember first. exactly. The original Chronic came out top of '92, I believe. So I mean, yeah, that's like that's right before that. I mean, that's that's yeah. kind of where that's kind of where we were, right? That's kind of where the yeah, name was. Exactly. You know, it's like that was like yeah, that that G Funk era of rap was like that that was that was killing it. It was blowing up the airwaves. Mm-hmm. So I go into this pizza place because kind of like my couple, like my couple of friends in high school were pretty into rap. And so that's kind of what in House of Pain. Yeah. Um, kind of listen to that kind of stuff. Um, so I get in this pizza place where all these folks, it wasn't just dudes either. It was like women who were older than me, like smoking cigarettes outside. And, yeah, the coolest. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, they were listening to all this new like alternative music, which I, I had been seeing on MTV, um, but I hadn't embraced yet. But I think somehow being in this kitchen three nights a week for months, um, probably at first I wanted to be like them, but after a while I was starting to really dig it. Like, this music's kind of good. And we had this one manager, Mike Craig. He was apparently the uh, uh, stepson of Larry Craig, the senator. Oh, infamous. Uh, Wide stands. Yeah, my recollection is, and if this goes public this might not be true but my recollection is he got fired because he was dealing coke out of the restaurant <laughs> um, unbeknownst to me obviously i was too naive to have any idea that there was anything beyond like cigarettes and alcohol going on in this place um he's standing next to me probably like 11 o'clock friday night you know like we were up until midnight on friday and saturdays mm-hmm. it would usually just be me the manager and the last delivery driver so we're in this room like it's like cinder block, white walls, 
with no artwork, like these lights blaring down, just sterile light on you, and we're just listening to the radio. And we're making like four pizzas. And something comes on the radio, and I don't remember what, if it was the Pumpkins or Nirvana or Pearl Jam, or Radiohead. We were listening to radio, radio and we was getting played on the radio all the time. Right, that was like OK Computer era? Or... Before that, I think it was the... Uh, the Benz? Maybe that one. It was the one with Song Creep and... Uh, right, right, right. That's the, the Benz, correct? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, it was before they really blew up to Radiohead that we know now. They were still within that little circle of bands. Sure. Alternative. Uh, yeah. yeah. And anyways, one of those came on, and I'd already started to really like this song. And I, and I wish I remember one, but I kind of look at Mike. I'm like, I like this song. Who is this? And I remember him looking at me like, are you shitting me? You don't know who this is? But he said it like, but then he followed up with like, that's rad you like this. Right. You know? Right. And then like. Like you're liking you, this on your own volition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Like you, you've come to this yourself. Uh-huh. Yes. And the next time I worked with him, a couple of days later, he came in with um, three CDs. Uh, Pearl Jam Versus. Awesome. Uh, in Utero. Awesome. And Siamese Dream. Great. Yeah. That's a great trio. Yeah. It changed my life right there, that minute. Right. That's good. That's good triumphant. Yep. So... So this is, so where does Green Day come in? Yeah, you know, I looked it up the other day to confirm my memory is correct, but Green Day's Dookie album came out in '94. Yeah. Um, and I just so like I gotta back up a little bit. Um, you know, I love Green Day, and um, about three months ago like literally a week or two before the whole COVID-19 flare-up happened our old friend Luke Smith came to visit me in Bozeman oh Luke Smith yeah and for whatever reason he was like dude let's get really high eat ice cream and watch some videos I was like let's watch and somehow during the day while we'd been out doing something I told him like Green Day had all these awesome videos in the 90s and Luke's a few years younger than us, or at least me, at least. And so we sat down and watched some of these videos. And the one that caught my attention was the video for Longview. Yeah. Um, because that was the first video of Green Day that was in super high rotation, like spring into summer of 94. Yeah. And, and when you watch watching that video this year, when you look at the couch in that video and the television and um, the house they're in the bathroom that the Trey Cool and Mike Dirt are playing in. Yeah. Um, it was just a punch in the nose of like the 90s right there. Yes. The coffee table with the ashtray on it. Like who has a ashtray inside the right. house? Yeah, like their parents maybe smoke cigarettes. Maybe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like that summer of 94 is so much Green Day. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Like, I probably knew it then, but like looking back now, full on. Like, um, yeah. I mean, it also occurred to me recently that 94, April of 94 is when Kurt Cobain died. Right, it's kind of the end of grunge. 
Exactly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, here's this band Green Day, which um, they look different. Yep. They had short hair. They dressed differently. Yep. Um, I had never, that I can think of, had listened to a band with just three members in it. Um, I had never listened to punk. I still haven't listened to much punk. I don't really freaking know punk. Yeah, that's fine. You know? Green Day blew my mind because they were so different, but they were so powerful. And then on top of that, every single song they were singing on Dookie, I related to with that sense of like alienation of like, I don't fit in, no one under knows who I am. Um, I don't think I, you know, grunge, the grunge bands totally kind of tapped into that feeling. But Green like, Day, it, it really- It was a little like darker though. With it was darker. So Green like, Day also really spoke from suburbia too in a way that grunge didn't quite define suburbia like Green Day did. I feel like Green Day was talking to it was a different demographic, right? Like they were ta- like I feel like they shot well, not shot. They spoke what they knew at the time. You look at the like those videos like they're in their teens and 20s. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And they're they're talking about stuff that teens and 20 year olds are going through and like you were saying in kind of like a more like suburban it's a little bit lighter it's a little bit more like exactly it's like i feel i feel unheard and i feel alienated and i'm i feel i feel pent up and i feel like i'm gonna explode mm-hmm. right exactly yeah, the they were talking about masturbation bit... they were talking about loneliness they were right. talking about boredom right um, and i love that they talked about it sort of way with like a joking sense of humor exactly right yeah like yeah nirvana wasn't really doing that no i mean well yeah i was talking about very serious heavy shit that yeah, we all talking about heavy know. shit you're talking about masturbation like it was like the end of the road yeah not, but not like something to just because i'm bored and yeah mm-hmm. yeah so and then the green day just punched out like video after video it felt like that summer yeah and to really fill that void when i don't know that like pearl jam had stopped making videos their their music was all over the radio yeah Um, all those bands were all over radio but they had blown up so fast that they had kind of said fuck the corporate world green day was like fuck the corporate world but we're gonna own it yeah sure and they embraced it yeah they did own it yeah really talking about like you talk about just like that looking back at those videos which everyone should do but like something that i just noticed so much so you actually the reason why we're doing this conversation now and i hope that i can have some others with some other people is you you sent me some green day albums on vinyl i think you might have been drinking um and i'm happy and i'm so glad that that you did that warmed my heart but looking at like looking at this actual vinyl like i like i seriously was transported right i was transported to like fifth sixth grade because that's like where i was right and like, mm-hmm. i mean like so so you're saying you got that 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 holy trinity of albums from the coke dealing nephew of the senator or whatever so my my version of that is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My sister, my oldest sister had gone to um, college. She just got done her freshman year of college. And 
she came back from college and she brought Green Day Dookie, Weezer Blue album. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the Cranberries. Nice. The one, you know, the, like the, the OG with like zombie and uh, um, yeah. And so like, like I like this, it blew my mind, right? Like this shit blew my mind. Like just looking at this album cover, right? Like, I, I'm like <laughs> yeah. This is like such some like mad magazine. Like it's busy, it's chaotic, it's hilarious. It's just like it's like a Where's Waldo, but like even right is now, there no, like a dog holding a pile of poo in its hand. So if you look at it, Dookie is the name of the album. Every <laughs> single rooftop. Is dogs <laughs> on the top of every rooftop? Is dogs dropping shit onto the boards of the idiot people in the streets, right? And the the plane that's flying over, there's a dog dropping shit bombs. So like, <laughs> right? it's, it's hilarious. And like, I spent like 20 minutes just like looking at this cover and just being like, man, dude, just took me back, right? And also these liner notes, like these liner notes are like this is like this is when people cared right this is like these are hand scrawled by billy joe right like there's little pictures little interstitials from like oakland um and like the dude on the couch um and you know even like in all the lyrics like you know he's like he even like emphasizes the like where, where he's like yelling in a song right it's like you like feel it when you read these and the pictures on the back like mm -hmm. that's what you're talking about like look at that 90s stuff right it's like beastie boys yeah. like punk rock that you've never seen before and so like it's that whole mm -hmm. feeling like they, they did something completely different right like they kind of blasted out of the gates in like you were saying and kind of the ashes a little bit of of grunge that had kind of been dominating. I'd even say that like Smashing Pumpkins kind of fit into like grunge and Radiohead was doing something a little different, but like we basically had like gangstery rap music. And, and alternative. And grunge, yeah. And, and, and like alternative, but like, I almost feel like that that year with Green Day Dookie and Weezer Blue album, Mm -hmm. Like those to me kind of define alternative. Like if someone was to say like, what's the difference between indie and alternative or alternative and grunge? I might even, I, I might like cite those two albums amongst some others. Sure. Like I would definitely put those two on like, alternative was on the airwaves. It was on MTV. Mm -hmm. It was big. Like mm -hmm. it was a movement, right? Yeah. Uh, and it was the next big movement. I think it's just like, it's really important to kind of remember that. And like, now that like Green Day has become a Broadway musical amongst other things that, you know, like they were part of like this wave that redefined popular music in the early mid nineties. Yeah. By saying some stuff that like, you know, some more people could a different demographic could could listen to could could agree with it's like what were some of those things you were saying like every song spoke to you what was that like for you like how'd that just like blow your gates open 
I mean, I mean, this probably sounds cliche to a certain degree, but like, like the song "She," like if there's one song in that whole album that, like, in fact, you know, at our high school, we gotta like, um, you put a quote with your senior picture. For sure. And I was gonna put a Green Day quote, and the last second I got kind of chicken shit and picked like a safer Led Zeppelin quote. <laughs> but I was, you know, but I was gonna say it from the song "She." Um, are you locked up in a world that's been planned out for you? Are you feeling like a sh- social tool without a use? Scream at me until my ears bleed. I'm taking heed just for you. Yeah. I felt like he was talking directly to me. I know this song's literally about some girl he's into it, but. I felt like he felt what I felt and wanted to give an avenue for either me to scream out to someone and have them hear it, or I was desperate for someone to reach out to me for me to be the one to hear somebody else's like life. Or just to know that like someone else out there was like experiencing the same thing you did. And like, you might not be able to articulate it, but they just put into words like all this like this angst and and like these feelings that were bottling up and and you could just put that on in your car and just blast that and just and just feel like it was like i mean it's a release right it's a release that that like music does for us like this person just said something that i feel and haven't been able to articulate and it's good that someone else out there knows they feel me and like thank god that i now have something to just like yell out when i'm feeling this way mm-hmm. yeah i mean i would get off work yeah I'd leading in the summer of 94 like i'd get off work at 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock at night and i mean i had great parents but i was expected to like go home i wasn't like it wasn't like i was getting off work like some of the other kids i work with to go hang out with their buddies and get rowdy i was hopping in my car driving home and if i drove straight home it was maybe 10 minutes at probably less at 10 o'clock at night in Boise. and you know i'd have the windows down and that 10 or and sometimes i'd stretch it out if i got off work early i'd go drive around hill road um back when hill road was an old like really rural before they rerouted it right it was this curvy, bouncy, dark, awesome historic road. And I would drive out there with my windows down, and this anywhere from 50, sometimes I'd stretch it out to 40 minutes of driving around, because sometimes as a teenager, that's the only freedom you get. And to combine that little bit of time of freedom um, with some music that's really speaking to you or that you just really enjoy. Um, yeah, it's probably the most meaningful part for me. It was probably the most meaningful part of my day every day, all summer long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I've talked about this so many times, how important cars are to like rural Americans, you know, like, I don't know exactly what happens in the city. I don't know where people grow up exactly in the city, but like, there's a certain freedom that you can experience in a vehicle that you can't experience at home. You can't experience Ooh. in a basement. Maybe when like the parents are gone, but not fully. You're still a little yeah. bit, you know, no one's like smoking or anything. So they don't want it to smell. His parents might show up. Yeah, parents might show up. 
but and like you know the neighbors might hear you blasting the music and like who knows like you know you're a kid you don't know if the neighbors are gonna knock you out for some f-bombs coming out of the basement but man cars and i know just from speaking from experience in rural semi-rural america is like that is freedom right and 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 cars also sound music sounds great in cars yeah it does like <laughs> fuck yeah it does dude music always... even if it's a shitty stereo it still sounds fucking great you know? even with a shitty i drove stereo. dude i drove for work last summer my boss had an 89 suburban that he would just use for like rare trips so he, he made me drive that one day and i'm driving back three hours to uh from Lamar Valley in Yellowstone back to Bozeman in an 89 Suburban with no AC, windows down on a 90 degree day, and a tape player. And like, oh. I think I was, I was, it had a radio, so I was able to hook up, I think, my phone through the yeah. stereo, but with that old 80s era speakers, yeah. listening to like Pearl Jam, I was like, this is where Pearl Jam's meant to be listened to is in yes. an 89 Suburban. Yes, dude. So you just like I was just saying when you're talking about scene, like like the car, regardless of the stereo, if you have like the the delivery device that you're supposed to have for that era, so like in that case a cassette, it's gonna mm-hmm. sound perfect in that car, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. Like if you can like, and, and even through like the weird like cassette that you plug in and then plug into your your phone or whatever, like still. Uh-huh still works still has like that just kind of weird warm grainy like kind of like it's bolts. still gonna like sound like that old tape player tape yeah. got all crinkled yeah, right yeah, in the yeah, best yeah. part of the song because oh, you've perfect. listened to it hundreds of times it's exactly what's supposed to happen i had that same situation with a uh with a vehicle that i was driving and i had to drive it for like just from boise to mccall but all it had was a tape player and i had nothing to to listen to so i stopped by record exchange and bought a used pixies nice tape. um uh, not even one of the good ones not not doolittle or surfer rosa it was um whatever one i dig for fire on it which was my favorite song on it and i just listened i just let it just play that thing i just played that okay. thing for two hours driving up the canyon windows down driving up a river canyon an old Ford F-150 with a cassette, just nice. playing, just playing some, just playing the music it was meant to play. Perfect. Yeah, it's great. Like I, I, I like that memory is gonna be with me as vivid as, as as can be for as long as I live, right? Yeah. So, um, I'm talking about like how like it like changed your life a little bit. What do you like? Is there anything like? How did that affect you like going forward? There, like just that experience kind of getting your mind blown by that even that holy triumvirate of of albums you were given and and then just like those times just riding with green day like going forward i mean what was like the shift what did it what it kind of what kind of gates did it did it blow open for you i don't know you don't know (laughs) that's probably the answer you want but i don't know um yeah i think that um i learned that music could be a commonality um and especially as like you know around that time i was pretty into sports 
like um, I think sports was the only way I knew how to socialize. Cubs games. Yeah, or even like I was diehard about basketball. Like I played freshman basketball. I was on the football team. Like the only way I interacted with people was through sports. Yeah. Um, and I think I started to learn, especially as I got into college, I realized music was a way that I could connect with people by like finding people who had similar interests in that kind of music. So often I think I would sort of judge people like, oh, you're into something I'm not into. I'm like, we're not friends. You know, like uh, I, I distinctly remember uh, I joined a fraternity. Um, and I, I think you're a little familiar with that fraternity. Sure. And I definitely remember the dudes I gravitated towards in that fraternity were um, wore a lot of flannel, yeah. had long hair. Yeah. They were uh, the main couple dudes. Um, Itor Ardiak and uh, Aaron Reeves. And Jeff Hickey had an apartment over in the Perch Apartments that was called the Reservation. And that was where a lot of us gravitated to at like 11 o'clock, midnight, two in the morning to play cards and listen to the music that we liked. Yeah. Um, you're playing that shit at the frat parties. What's that? Because they weren't playing that music at the frat parties. No, they, yeah, they yeah. was getting played. Like girls would hang out with us early in the evening and, and enjoy that music. Sure. There, there was a quick, like, around my sophomore junior year, there was a sudden flip where it left alternative and went straight to either, like, crappy pop rock. I don't want to say crappy, but more, like, punchy sort of... I'm thinking of Smash Mouth in my mind. <clears throat> so, I'm not sure. Sugar Ray. <clears throat> right. And, like, the pop, and then it went straight the into the boy band scene. At the end of the 90s, early 2000s, the, 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 the radio pop music shift was for the worst oh exactly yeah it's, and alternative music shifted towards the worst too it's true like everything like it kind of so like the good music i'd say at that at that time went to the underground exactly right and so mm -hmm. to your point i also had the same experience right when i got to college and it's so funny how we do this right i did the same thing i like milling around trying to figure out like it's just, isn't it funny like i think we still do this to some degree once you start to get to know someone and you like realize like oh, i'm having a good conversation i kind of this person's kind of cool at, like some point like music comes up right mm -hmm. yeah you know like there is politics yeah music or politics but you can usually tell what kind of music they listen to from their politics or vice versa to a degree um but yeah i mean it's actually i did the same thing you know i gravitated to the people who you know like looked like they at least you know weren't weren't all abercrombie right right you know or like you know I, I, you know but that would that would be like a hedge question i always kind of throw in like hey like well, what kind of music are you into and like i'd throw out a couple bands if you got a couple bites then it's like all right we got something here right like because i mean that's that's important right like you were saying yeah. i mean and i think it was something like that, that, that like I, I was trying to get out as like you can you can kind of read a lot about a person by music i don't judge someone by their music unless it's a certain type of music and then i will judge <laughs> <them>. <laughs> but 
I mean, there are, there's only like, there's only like two or three types of music that I'm gonna just straight judge someone on, really. Like, I'm, I'm very open, obviously. What are those? <clears throat> you know, like, <laughs> now, like currently, I mean, back in the early 2000s, I would have said like, you know, anything on the radio, because I was, I was kind of a dick like that. But, um, you know, I think there's, I mean, I don't even know if radio even exists anymore, um, except for like classic rock and like club bangers, right? And so like, if someone's listening to club bangers, like just in their daily life, like they got a little more, they got something else going on, right? Like, they're just like pumping Kesha fists, drinking coffee in the morning. Like, you know, I don't know. Like, I'm not saying you're a bad person. Like, I love Kesha. She's a time and a place, but like, you know, if that's what you're listening to all the time, you do, maybe you got some issues going on there that need to be resolved. And um, contemporary country is a good one. Contemporary. That was, that was like pop country. That was what I was moving into next. That's the yeah. only other one. That's the only one that is hung over from the early 2000s to now. Yeah. Like even in the early 2000s, I would have been like, if you listen to radio rap, that's garbage. I was all about underground hip hop, all about heady hip hop you know, root stuff. Now, like, there's good, like, Kendrick's rapping, J. Cole's rapping, they're putting out good rap music. Like, good yeah. rap music is on the radio. Mm-hmm. Or, like, at least it, it on, like, on people's radars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The contemporary, like, the pop country that is happening now, I can't. I just, I can't. <laughs> and, I can't and I can't condone your being okay with it. It's not yeah. good. There's, there's good country out there's good there's great country out. there's good country coming out right now really yes. good country uh-huh. which there hasn't been in a long time and if you're still choosing to listen to like I don't know whatever that is um, yeah I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to put you in a certain demographic um, and I apologize for that that's, I'm not going camping with you that's profiling but we're not going camping man yeah I will not. I I also will not spend more than one night of camping with a group that controls like that listens to jam band music. Yeah, sure. Take me to the concert. one night of jam band music. Take me to the concert and dose me, and I'll love it. Yeah. Don't. <laughs> otherwise. Multiple days of it. Hell no. <laughs> otherwise, you get a night. Yeah. <clears throat> well, man, um, this has been a joy. I got a question for you. Yeah. Why? Why was there like? Why was there such a backlash for Green Day from the punk scene? Because the punk scene was because all, of Dookie. It's because of selling out, man. Yeah. You know, you know that old cliche. Kind of so, like generally, yeah. So generally, you've heard that, but like in the punk world, like so that's so the punk world was taking a really. Um, I would say like self-destructive turn right about the time that it blew up, right? So like, I mean, punk rock started as, obviously as we all know, it's just like completely underground, kind of complete, and and it came from all sides, right? Punk rock wasn't just anti-authority. It wasn't just, it wasn't like crass, like anarchy, no government, like, uh, complete 
like um, like sex pistols, like like apathy, kind of fuckitism. Um, it was coming from a lot of different places, and basically what it was was I think what it was supposed to be was just a landing place for people who felt like they didn't want to fit in anywhere else, right? So even bands like Television was in there, right? I mean, Joy Division was in there. Patti Smith, right? Like these are mm-hmm. these are bands are early punk pioneers to some degree. And can you see Emily chilling back yes. here? <laughs> yeah, it's a little spooky. <laughs> is that Marilyn Manson? I know she kind of is like she's doing something right now. Emily, we're recording. <laughs> I'll be back later. <laughs> so, um, so like. But that whole thing was like, but the one thing that they all maintained, I think, is that like the corporate world was the enemy. And so there was infighting in punk. It became about a look. It became about doing a certain thing. It became about what kind of punk are you? Are you, are you a complete nihilist? Cause that's what it's supposed to be. Or are you like, do you care? Are you a complete political punk? You know? And then like, and then even like the American hardcore scene with like black flag, and circle jerks was like it was a little bit like it was a meathead scene like like it was all angry aggressive dudes like those like most of those dudes probably would have uh, grown up to vote for trump you know like honestly they probably would have um but the, the one thing that united them all is that like the corporation was the enemy and green day were the first band i think that was really like wearing the full punk outfit right with like the studded belts and the dyed hair and the spikes and everything that like was like like i was saying like they were alternative in my mind you know they came out of punk they bridged like a gap from punk rock to alternative but and that and that i think was the backlash it's just like and you know what it really is it's just I mean, it's all just jealousy, right? Like, like all those bands are like, wow, this band is more talented than us. They should stop calling themselves punk rock because you're not supposed to be talented to play punk rock. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it's supposed to be a place for, for, for idiots and morons to just be able to, like, just expel their pent-up aggressions and rage and towards the government or just in general, you know? And, like, and, and Green Day made a bunch of money off of it and that was that was essentially wrong but i mean like you know that's all part of it like punk rock is such a such a messy term and i think that everyone should own it as they do i think like tom petty with the last dj album it was one of the most punk rock things yes. I to. he just he made a huge album that sold millions of copies and the whole time just trashed the record industry doing exactly what he wanted to do like that's punk rock like that's he had a record of punk rock of like you're not using my album to raise the price of records by a dollar yeah yeah exactly like that's punk rock that's for the people you know that's like he he did like that's punk rock to me and so like whether or not it sounded right or whatever you know it's like it's 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 immature people who were jealous basically and were trying to define their own lane to give themselves some success and got upset when someone else defined their own lane and found success. Sure. You know? But yeah. I mean, everyone went on to be like, Bad Religion put out an album on a major label. Rancid mm-hmm. put out an album on a major label. Uh, 
Didn't Pennywise have a big hit single? Pennywise put out an album on a major label. No Effects is the highest grossing punk band of all time that has never put out an album on a major label. And that's basically because Fat Mike just made his own label and made it into almost a major label. Right? So, I mean, like, it's almost like, you know, there's a loophole a little bit. But I like the whole, like, the sellout thing is it's yeah. such just messy. It's such a cop out. And, um, well, I was curious because I was never, I've never in my life gotten into, like, punk. I've listened to punk because I was around someone who was into punk. Sure. Um, and that's and, only, and that's only my take on it, you know, like. Well, you're Mark Beaver. Thank you. Your take matters. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But, so I was listening to, I have a job now. Oh, and I was doing some tedious work where I could kind of, like, pick whatever music I wanted to listen to because I didn't have to, like, concentrate or anything. Mm-hmm. Knowing we were going to chat tonight, I listened to Dookie. And I'm doing it on Spotify. And so it kicked straight into Kirk Plunk, playing Kirk Plunk the whole way through, which was, you know, Green Day's last independent record, yep. which I got in high school. Like, you know, when I was in high school, you'd get this album by by a band that you loved and you listen to it over and over and over again. And you couldn't freaking wait for their next album. And then I'm sitting at the pizza place again. And there's this girl named Luna who is like trippy alternative girl. Obviously. Right into Boise High. And um, she's like, well, you know, there's two other Green Day tapes you can get at the record exchange. And I was like, oh, fucking shit. (laughs) The next morning I drove to the record exchange. It was like, holy crap, there's two more Green Day like tapes I can listen to. I love Kerplunk. And like, but listening to today on the heels of Duke, I'm like, wait, like, so Kerplunk was cool with the punk scene, but Dookie was not because they sound so similar. Dookie's actually like, like there's more punch to it. Like you can tell this is a band that figured their shit out, their voice, what they were going for. And um, Dookie is next level, like one of the greatest albums of all time. Sure. But it's still like, you can see the progression from Kerplunk to Dookie. Right. Yeah, and so I was just curious, like, what happened in that time frame between the two? Popularity, selloutism, you know, we talked about. There's even one song that is on both. Welcome to Paradise is uh-huh. on both. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, like, I totally agree. Like, Kerplunk's great. Like, I had Kerplunk on, it was one of my first cassettes. And I'd listen to it, Melon Mons, that, and uh, Primus, Sailing the Seas of Cheese. <laughs> yep, yep, because I'm a weirdo, and I like that. Yeah. And Primus sounds like what I thought the brains of people who made Ren and Stimpy and Mad Magazine probably sounded like, and those <laughs> people that I wanted to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, Kerplunk, I mean, it's a little bit, it sounds grittier, for sure, and definitely has more punch. It's a better, like, it's a harder album. It's more aggressive. Dookie is, I think. Um, I think it's just you know, still got kind of like the catchy hooks. Yeah, it's just, just they made some catchy hooks. That's it. And I really think once you hit song number seven, Basket Case, through the end of the CD, all the way freaking through, it flies. Yeah. It flies in a good way. Yeah. That's all. That's all. 
side two, I think, it just like rips. It just yeah. Gone. It's over. Every single song is about something meaningful to me. Yeah. Like words. Yeah. So um even when I come around is a really nice, like toned down, like yeah. you know, not really heavy handed. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's kinda like a little come down number in there a little bit. Like you gotta have one of those every now and then. Show up has a good groove to it. You know what, like, did you know this, dude? Like, I'm, I know this is like something that's happened in history, but Dookie was made with three chords and three chords only. Hmm. Huh. Like, I don't play music, but even I know three chords is impressive. Three chords, that's all, yeah. And so, I mean, like, there's some, there's some standards out there. Velvet Underground made Sister Ray with just two chords. Um, okay. But that's basically just like rock and roll improvisational jazz, more or less. Um, you know, there's not there's not like this form and structure. So like, I think the, I think what's interesting about that 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 all of Dookie was made with three chords speaks to actually Mike Dent and Trey Cool. I was going to ask about Mike Dern specifically. Yeah, it seems like there's so much melody in his bass. Yeah, for yeah. every song fantastic bass player for a, a punk band like, yeah that guy's a great bass player by any standard of music i think mm -hmm. i mean maybe not improvisational jazz i don't know what his jazz hand looks like but you listen to, own it. but you listen to the bass lines on dookie and yeah. you're like that's that's where it is man they're they, they come in as leads like and then and then trey cool's drumming too is just like it's tight it's in the pocket it, it's hard like it's not just he's not just smashing skins right mm -hmm. like uh -huh. like he's he, he has some really impressive drumming and then like and i do think that that's what really you know brought green day kind of to the surface of a punk rock scene is it okay it, you know like it wasn't just blistering they weren't just thrashing like right it wasn't just blistering sound of a bunch of untrained musicians there are three really good musicians with a really great lyricist and songwriter billy joe like to be honest obviously like you're saying like the big part of it is that he struck a chord with so many people but the fact that he had a rhythm section that was all time like for a punk band is i mean yeah yeah you're gonna you're gonna kind of rise to the top right just like one you, thing we haven't talked about yet it's the hidden song at the end of the album all by myself yep just thinking of you every yep. 90s <laughs> every 90s album Every good 90s punk rock album had a hidden song. And you almost felt let down if they didn't. You felt like you wanted to go back <laughs> to the drugstore or to the record thing or whatever and be like, give me a buck back because I'm going to put a hidden song on here. Hidden songs were my favorite part of CDs throughout the 90s, to be honest. But yeah, good, good, hidden, good hidden song on that one. I'm not listening. Let's leave it for people to find out by themselves, you know? Just that sounds good, yeah. Keep listening, folks. After that last song, listen through the silence until they chime back in. Yeah. So if you were, I've, I've never tried this, say if you were to go to iTunes and buy the Say Song 
FOD individually as a single song like so many people do now. But maybe not so much now that you download songs instead of buying them. I, say, I don't think anyone buys anything. Yeah. But, like, say, so say if, if you just. on Spotify to FOD and just let it play out. Right. It's a hidden song. That's what I'm wondering. I don't know. And Maybe you know if what? it turns into a radio program, that could be the closing song, and like the audience can like wait through the credits to see if the hidden yeah. song pops up. Yeah. And you know what? It'd be a damn dirty shame if all of those hidden songs aren't on Spotify or Apple Music exactly. or wherever. Yeah. I'm telling you, that was my favorite damn part of a new CD. Like, I would, sometimes I'd just go straight to the last song. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'd listen to the whole album for it. That's what I'd do. I'd listen to the whole album. I'd look at the... I would do. Yeah, no way. You wouldn't get the last song. I'd look at the booklet. I'd hang out. I'd see what bands they thanked. Um, that was always huge to me. Uh, yeah. And then, but then like that last song, I better just play out and I just sit there. I just sit there waiting for it. And if it didn't come, oof, don't get me started, man. <laughs> don't want an angry beaver. No, I don't your hands. Well, Benji, I really enjoyed this. Enjoyed seeing your face. Enjoyed talking to you. And I think that we might, I think we might actually have something here. I'm gonna try to. Well, I know you. You and me have something. We got something real good. We've always had something. Yeah, from day one, I think. Yeah, that's why Emily was looking through the window to make sure there wasn't like right. something yeah. going on. All by myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was Benji and I shooting the old proverbial shit. It was a good time, wasn't it? Had some laughs, found out some interesting information, maybe learned something today. I did enjoy it. I would love to talk to you sometime. Certainly, there was a song, a record, a music video, a moment in time that music played a really big part in. I'd love to hear about it. This has been When the Levee Broke from Quarantine Cocktail Hour. And I've been your host, Mark Beaver, coming to you from the high desert of southeast Idaho. And now, some Green Bay. Be easy.
Mountain High.